You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can follow along with the notes for this message and get better connected with our church by visiting church2911.com connect. Now, here's Pastor Rick or another member of our team with this week's message. Okay, so today let's talk about doubt, right? That we're ta- yep, that's what we're talking about, doubt. Let's talk about doubt. Let me ask a question. Is there anybody in the room that has ever dealt with doubt? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. About over half of you raised your hand, and all the rest of you needed to, right? Oh, okay, then let's ask, let's ask it the other way just to make sure. Is there anyone in the room that has never dealt with doubt? I didn't raise my hand on that one either. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Okay, so we all should have raised our hands, right? So if, when you raised your hand a few moments ago, or you should have raised your hand, you saw those hands go up, you're in good company, okay? We all deal with doubt. Doubt happens. Doubt is around us. And, and uh, that's one of the first things I want to expose about doubt is that doubt wants us to believe that when it's present, then there's all, kind, there's all kinds of problems. There's something that's not right. We can't have what we need from God, all those kinds of things. And that's not true. Doubt is not that powerful, okay? Let me give you a quote, a good quote I ran across this past week. Alyssa Childers said, The strongest form of faith is one that has wrestled through doubt. The strongest form of faith is one that has wrestled through doubt. So the fact that doubt exists, that's not the end of the story. That's not not all there is to write. But our faith gets stronger the more we wrestle with doubt and those kinds of things, the more we beat doubt down, the more we overcome doubt, the more we trust in spite of doubt makes our faith go stronger. Okay, so doubt's all around you. Doubt's got, and I got to tell you, doubt is going to continue happening in your life. It's going to keep showing up. It's going to keep whispering in your ear in the middle of the night. It's going to keep shouting at you and trying to make you doubt. It's going to keep on and keep on and keep on. I'm sorry, but that's, that's just the way life really is. Okay, doubt is a reality but just because doubt is all around us and all of that and doubt is natural for us to to it happens and sometimes we entertain it just because it's natural I don't want you to hear me say I don't want you to think this that doubt isn't dangerous because doubt is very dangerous doubt is a thief the very as a matter of fact all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 the very first temptation that, that was ever recorded Genesis chapter 3 the first thing that Satan did when it, when he was about to tempt Eve before he got to the temptation he planted a seed of doubt God had told them to eat of any tree you want to eat except this one because if you eat of that tree you're gonna die and Satan said you won't die you won't die so the first thing he did was plant a seed of doubt before he threw the temptation at her and so you know the story of Adam and Eve and about all that they lost because of their sin. So doubt has been stealing from us since the very beginning. And ever since, doubt has continued to steal our blessings, our peace, our confidence, and our power. So doubt is powerful. It is dangerous if we don't keep it in check. And that's why, that's why Jesus chided. I, I, I chose the word chided. I don't use that a whole lot. I almost wanted to say scolded, but scolded sounds real mean, like Jesus really got into people's face, right? So he chided people over their, their little faith or their small faith in the book of Matthew. You see there's five instances right there, and, and if you'll note, they're all in the book of Matthew, okay? Now, uh, 
here, here's what's going on in the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all write the story of Christ's ministry here on the earth, okay? And, and they're telling the same story, but they can't write everything. So some of them remember some things, and some of them choose to leave some things out based on what they feel is important for them to share. For some reason, Matthew felt it really important to share that Jesus chided people over their little faith. He said, oh, you people of little faith. Oh, you men of small faith. Uh, and and he, he chided them over that. I, I wouldn't use the word scolded. I'd just say chided, okay? That he, he chided them over that, that they, didn't have, that they had this little faith. And as I was studying this, and I was looking, I was looking at all these instances of, of, uh, of when Jesus did this, and then I, and then I think in a, in a couple of minutes we're going to get to some other people besides these five right here. And when I, when I compared these other people to these, I was wondering, why did Jesus, you know, speak, speak to them like he did, oh, oh you, you people of little faith, when he didn't do that to the others that we'll talk about in a few minutes? Why did he do that? Well, in these instances right here, this was when, this was when people were losing these same things that I've been saying that, that doubt steals from us. It was, it was when... Uh, the disciples, two of these instances are when the disciples were afraid because of, of bad storms that had come. Real bad storms that had happened, that were happening, and, and they were scared, and Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. And there, there was another time that the disciples misunderstood something that Jesus said. Jesus said something, and they took it to mean something else, that they didn't have enough bread or whatever, and Jesus said, oh, oh you have little faith. Don't you think I can, I can handle the bread thing? You know, it's those kinds of things. So, so here's the difference. Because the ones that we're going to talk about in just a few moments, that was, that was when, when people were having doubt about salvation, their place with God, okay? The, re, the, the reality of all of it, okay? Here, it's just a few things. So, so here's why. Jesus was chiding them over their small faith because they were allowing doubt to steal, to steal their, their, uh, their blessings, their, their peace, their, conf their uh, confidence and their power. And so here's what he was doing. And, and you know, I kind of want to do this to you right here for just a moment as well. I want to say, you know, you don't realize who you're hurting. You're hurting yourself when you have doubt in these little areas because you're allowing doubt to destroy your blessing, to defeat you and your confidence, to steal your, your peace and your power away from you. So, so, so don't doubt anymore, but, but do whatever's necessary to get to that place of faith. Okay, so we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Okay, so, so what's the first step? Okay, so we got doubt, we got faith, and how, how these two things are going to continue to work in my life. How am I going to make sure faith happens? You tell me doubt keeps coming, Pastor. How am I going to make sure faith happens in my life? Okay, here's the first thing. Settle what you know. You have to settle what you know. All right, so when we talk about doubt, especially in the New Testament, what character comes to mind first? Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? right? Or did y'all cheat because y'all looked up there and y'all saw that's what the scripture was, right? Doubting Thomas, okay? And so we think of doubting Thomas. Okay, Here, here's what happens. This is in a John chapter 20 and back up to verse 24, 25, somewhere in there. And uh, what we find out is Jesus, okay, this is crucifixion. Jesus was buried and he rose again. And now in verse, I think it's verse 25, uh, the disciples, uh, Jesus has appeared to all of them except Thomas wasn't with them. 
and, and that's, I think that's what verse 25 tells us. And then the disciples tell Thomas, hey, Thomas, Jesus has appeared to us. He's alive. And Thomas says, I will not believe it until I see it with my own eyes. I see the wounds and I feel the wounds. I touch the, the wounds in his hand and in his side. I won't believe it until that. Okay, so because of that, we, uh, we call him Doubting Thomas. But uh, like I was saying a few moments ago, Jesus chided those other people about their lack of faith, but he doesn't really hear. What does he tell Thomas to do? Here, check it out, buddy. Feel it. You know, you want to feel it. And you know what? If you read the scripture, it doesn't say that Thomas ever did. You know, and so, okay, now this, this is a little bit of opinion here, and I always want to tell you if it's opinion, and if it's not, I can definitely prove it from scripture or anything, okay? But here's kind of what I believe, is I don't believe that Thomas had a problem believing Jesus. I think he had a problem with the disciples. I think maybe he'd say, okay, you guys telling me that you saw, Je you saw Jesus alive, I'll believe it when I see Jesus alive. When I see is when, when I see that it is Jesus. Because I got just a couple of days ago, guys, remember? When Jesus was arrested, all you guys left him. I know I did too, but we all ran from Jesus. And Simon Peter, you telling me you saw Jesus alive? Well, I remember what you said the night Jesus was arrested. I remember three times that night you denied even knowing him, and the last time you cursed. You swore, you said, you swore and said, I don't know the man. So, so I, maybe Thomas wasn't doubting Jesus. Maybe he was doubting his brothers around him. Okay, so we need to get that. D we, we need to make that division. What I know about Jesus, we can't allow what I hear or see from someone else to impact what I know about Jesus. I got to settle what I know about him. And you know what? Here's what I see with, here's what I see with Thomas. Is Jesus says, go ahead, do it. Don't be faithfully long or believe. And, so, and Thomas says, I believe. Oh, you, you are the Son of God, he, and you are risen. He knows immediately that, that it really is Jesus. And immediately, his faith is there. Settle what you know. Maybe Thomas wasn't doubting. Maybe he was just settling what he knew. You have to settle what you know. Because, and here's what, here's what a lot of people think faith is. They think, think faith is blind belief. Yeah, have you ever heard anybody say that? That's what faith is. It's, blind, it's believing blindly. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't blind belief. Faith is trust. And Hebrews, and, and I, I think this is uh, kind of the faith scripture for me. I mean, it, it actually is a definition of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of, of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And, and we, we have a problem of, the, of those, those two ifs there at the end, right? Things hoped for, not seen. Man, I want to see it. I want to see it. But faith, i, I got to have faith without seeing it, you know. And, and so we struggle with that a little bit. But there is some, some, some strong language here. It's two words, very strong words in this verse, substance and evidence. You're not believing blindly. There is substance and there is evidence of the things that God is doing. There is substance that is there. There is evidence that is there. I had I had a lot of um, I had a lot of ideas of examples to give you right here and and um, I didn't really know which ones I wanted to use. <coughs> I think I'm gonna, I think I'm going to use the ones I used in the first service again because I, I think they worked well the first service. But there are a lot of examples we could use right here of faith, doubt, trust. Now trust overcomes doubt. Okay, so here's a good one. How many of you like to fly? Anybody? Anybody? Y'all like to fly? Okay, yeah. You know, how many of you don't like to fly? <laughs> okay. Let me ask you, those of you who like to fly, you know, do you ever 
Have you ever, ever, ever had a little bit of doubt creep in while you fly? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah? But you got on the plane anyway, didn't you? You got on the plane anyway. Okay, some of you that you, you had the doubts, you got on the plane anyway. Can you describe to me aerodynamics and why that multi-thousand pound ton plane is able to glide on, on nothing but air? I mean, can you explain that? Can you describe that? No. I mean, unless, I don't, I don't know, do we have an engineer in the house that could explain that? I don't have time for you to go into it, but I just wondered if you were here or not. I mean, you can't describe that. You can't explain that. And you, every once in a while you've had that doubt because planes do crash. Y'all have watched the news. Y'all do know that, right? Planes do crash. And so there is, there is some, there's, there, there's some truth to that and some truth maybe to the doubt. But there's substance and evidence also because if you ever, you ever looked at how many planes fly every single day, that's the evidence, the substance of all that stuff that I don't understand that, that engineers have done and the, all, the, all the drawings and all, the, all of that stuff. I don't understand it, but that's the substance and the evidence. So my trust in that plane being able to get off the ground and actually fly me to my destination overcomes the doubt that I have inside of me, at least for most of us, maybe not all of us, right? And so you'd just rather still walk instead of fly a plane, right? Or what about like bridges? Now, now I'd like to let David come preach this part right here about bridges, okay? You know, have you ever been across a bridge that you were a little unsure of? You know, because bridges fall too. Did y'all know that? <laughs> yeah, some of y'all are really smiling on this. It's like, yeah, I've thought about that, Pastor. They do, yeah. Are you really worried about this? And you know, here's the thing. I've, I've been across a lot of bridges that I was like, wow, you know, just amazing. You know, go up real high, go around and around and around. You know, it seems like it goes around and then it comes down on the other side. Uh, I, I, you know, remember some of those in Mississippi, Louisiana, some of those kinds of things. I just like, wow, you know, just amazed at it. And at the same time, say, you know, just really hope that they did their, they did their job. Now, there, there are governmental regulations. There are engineers that have to do, uh, have to do all the planning, all this stuff, and all, all, these, all the materials that they use, all of this, that's the substance and the evidence that we put our trust in that even though there's some doubt like, I hope this is okay, we put our trust in and we go over it anyway. You know, that, and trust overcomes the doubt. That doubt still comes. And maybe, maybe like, you know, when you, you, you ever been on a, on a bridge and about halfway across, traffic backs up and you have to sit there a while? It's kind of easy to get, get enough faith to hurry across a bridge, but you got to sit there a while, and if you sit there long enough, you know, and then all of a little sudden you feel a little shift, you know. <laughs> you feel the thing moving just a little bit, and it just starts screaming. It's easy to have faith for a moment, but then after, to actually hang in there. And so what you've got to do is, is you've got to constantly let that trust uh, overcome the doubt that is there. That's what faith is, faith in God. When you settle what you know about him, then you don't have to worry about all those other doubts. Let me show you how it works out in plain life, okay? Mary Magdalene. All right, when, when Jesus died, now this is before, this is before anybody had seen him alive. We were talking just a few moments ago about Thomas and the disciples, they had seen him alive. This was before that. Okay, so Mary Magdalene, she goes on a Sunday morning, what we now celebrate as Easter or Resurrection Sunday, and, and she goes there to anoint the body of Jesus because they had to bury him in such a hurry because Passover, was, I'm sorry, for, uh, the Sabbath was coming on Friday evening. They had to bury him so fast they weren't able to anoint his body with the spices and all that. So she goes early on Sunday, and she gets there, and his body's gone. Now, nobody's seen him alive. Nobody's even hinted that he is alive, okay? She just gets there, and his body is gone. 
And so she runs to tell the disciples, and two of them, Peter and John, they run back to see, and yeah, his body is gone. They go back into town, but Mary stays. Mary stays there weeping and crying. What have they done with the body of Jesus? Did somebody steal it? Did the Romans come in the middle of the night? Did they, did they take it somewhere else and hide it so that we wouldn't be able to know where it was anymore? What's happened to the body of Jesus? And, and two angels are there, and they talk to her, and she tells them why she's so upset. And then Jesus appears. When Jesus appears, don't all of your doubts all go not Did they all go away? Wait, wait a minute. Don't get ahead of me right here. Because sometimes he, he shows up, and sometimes we're still, we still living in the doubt. You know, because he shows up and he says, what's wrong? And she tells him. They've taken his body and I don't know where he is. And so she doesn't even recognize that it's Jesus. She thinks it's a gardener according to the scripture. I think it's verse, uh, go, go on, I think it's verse uh, 15. It says she thinks he's a gardener. And so she's just talking to him like he's a gardener, a worker there uh, at the, at the uh, cemetery. And then in verse 16, he says, Mary. If I were... If I were making a movie of this right here, here's, here's the way I would show this. It's when he said Mary, I would have flashbacks go boom, 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 of every time he said Mary, 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 of all the times that she had heard his voice say her name. Because when she heard it that day, all those memories came back of all the times that, that he, was, he was God. And you know, she didn't even know he was alive. She just thought his body was gone. And she heard that word. And you know what? There wasn't a discussion about, oh, wait a minute, you're alive? There wasn't even a discussion. There wasn't even a moment that, that doubt had, had a second to even try to get in and gain a foothold. Because as soon as she heard the voice that she had heard over and over and over, as soon as she heard that voice, she knew it was Jesus. And she knew he was alive because that was settled in her mind. That, that, that voice that she had heard before. You know, one of the reasons I'm okay with going across bridges, you know, some, of the, some bridges I've been across, you know, one time before, some I've been across a bunch of times. And one of the reasons I'm good, I'm okay with going across bridges is because I've been over this bridge before and I know it's safe. Or, or you know what, I've heard other people, I know other people that have been over this bridge before. Do, do you know where I'm going with this? Okay, can you get ahead of me right there? Let, let's just talk about that for just a moment. Because here's one of the reasons that doubt doesn't creep in. Here's one of the reasons that trust overcomes the doubt is because I hear other people talk about all the bridges of life that God has gotten them over and everything is good and they were rescued or they were safe or all, whatever needed to happen, happened. And I've heard that over and over and over and every one of them has built confidence in me. And, and then when I go over it, I know I've been over this bridge before, and I know if I'm getting over, I'm going to get over it again. And so all those times, just build that confidence and trust. And just like Mary, then when doubt tries to come in, or when fear tries to come in, it doesn't even have a chance because I hear his voice, or, or I sense his presence, or I remember a scripture that I'd heard somebody else quote, or that, I, uh, that God led me to find, or whatever. And all of those just come flooding back in, and I realize, wait a minute, this is still okay because I'm settled in what I know about who Jesus Christ is. Because I'm settled in that. And Martin Luther says this. There are, there are two things that, uh, that every man must do. He must do his own believing and his own dying. And you know what I wish I could believe for you? Because I see a lot of you living below your privileges. I see a lot of you that need something from God 
and you're still struggling with that doubt, I wish I could believe for you. I wish I could trust beyond your doubt. I wish I, wish I could just get you over that. But you have to believe for yourself. You have to settle what you know about Jesus Christ. And when you settle what you know about him, you see, when you settle that you know Jesus Christ died for your sin, so that's, that's the first thing. I, I, I'm going to settle this in my heart. Jesus Christ died for my sin, and I know that and I believe that. If I believe that and I know that and that's settled in my heart that Jesus died for my sin, then there is nothing good that he wouldn't do for me. There is nothing else that he wouldn't do. If I believe he would do that, if I believe he would, he would leave heaven and he would come and live this life he had to live and die for me, if I believe he would do that, if I settle that in my mind, then everything else is settled in my mind about who he is, his nature, the way he is. And I didn't really, I, I kind of had this halfway in my notes. I said that first service too, and I didn't know if I was going to say this here or not. But it came to my mind, both services, so I'm gonna, I want to share it with you. Because here's, here's, here's one of the problems when we don't settle what we know about him. When we just keep blindly following, blindly believing, we don't settle that I know that I know that. When we don't settle, here's, here's one of the things that happens. Is then we start judging God based on what we would do. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when something happens in our life, something happens in our family, something happens in our community, and then we say, well, why did God do that? And we start judging him based on, well, I would have done it this way. Maybe we don't say it out loud, but that's what we're thinking. And we judge God based on how we would have handled that or how we wished he would have handled that or how we wish he had shown up early or how he had, why, why didn't God make it easy for me to do this? Why did he make it so hard? Why did God give me this in, in, in my in my toolbox of character traits and personalities and, and all the garbage in the history of family. Why did God give me this and give somebody else this? But if we haven't settled who Jesus is in our heart and life, we will start judging him based on what we think and how that thing goes. That's why we have to settle that we know who he is. Settle that. You have to settle that. I can't do it for you. You have to make up your mind. I know Jesus Christ died for my sins. He is the Son of God who came and died for my sin. And if I know that, I know there is nothing else good that he wouldn't do for me. You have to settle that. Okay, so, 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 so how do we settle that? Okay, a couple, couple of stories from the Scripture. How we, how we settle this. And here, here's, here's, the, here's the key, I think. Is we have to direct our doubt and our faith toward Jesus. Okay, that's not a typo, okay? Because I know everybody thinks, yeah, we're going to give up. We're going to direct all of our faith toward him. No, direct your doubt toward him also. You know, you don't have to deal with your doubt by yourself. Ask him your questions. Throw it at him. You know what? Jesus is not offended by your doubt. He is not offended by your questions. You know what? If a six-year-old comes up to me and asks me a question, now, if some of you about my age, you ask me a question, you know, maybe challenging something I know about the Bible, I might get offended at you. But a six-year-old comes up and asks me a question about, you know, so I'm not going to be offended at them. You know, that's, a, that's about the way, you know, it would be God and me. If I ask him a question, I'm like a six-year-old. I don't have the answers, God. He's not offended at that. He wants us to not just bring him our faith. He wants us to bring him our doubt, too. There's a great Great story right here. 
This is a story where, where um, a man had a son who needed a miracle. I, man, I mean a miracle. We're going to talk about miracles in just a few weeks in this sermon series also. In Mark chapter 9, um, he, this, this, this dad brings his son, and he brings him to the disciples. First, they pray over him. They try to help him. They can't do anything. He brings him now to Jesus. He says, your disciples, they couldn't help him. And, and uh, if you can, please help him. Jesus said, uh, one, one, of the, one of the versions, one of the uh, translations of what is there in the Greek is like Jesus says, if I can, <laughs> you know, a little bit, if I can, well, you've got, you got to believe that I can. And you know what I like? I like, it's, it's kind of like this. If you can, please heal him. And Jesus said, if I can, you've got to believe that I can. And then the father says, now he doesn't say this little first little part. It's almost like he says, wait a minute, let me change that. Now, he doesn't say that, but it's kind of like that's, what, that's almost what's inferred. Because now he changes and he says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. It's almost like he said, okay, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let me change that then. Let me change that. Instead of just saying if you can, I do believe you can, but help me with my unbelief. He changes that. And you know what? And Jesus wasn't blown away by that. So now he says, I've got belief, but I've also got unbelief. So what does Jesus do? Does Jesus chide him also? Does he scold him? Does he say, well, look, you say you got a little bit of unbelief, so your son can't have his miracle. Is that what Jesus says? Is that what he does? No. Read the story on. In the next verse, Jesus delivers the boy from the oppression he's under. He delivers the boy. It has nothing to do with the amount of belief or the amount of unbelief. It has nothing to do with that. But the fact that the father said, yes, I believe, but I got some unbelief here. I need you to help me with Jesus. Direct your doubt toward him. You want to settle how you feel about Jesus? Then keep, start directing. Every bit of doubt you've got, direct it toward him. To help me with this, Jesus. You've got to help me with this because I'm questioning. I, I, I'm, I'm doubting just a little bit here. I'm struggling a little. You've got to help me with this, Jesus. Let, let me give you another example from Scripture. John the Baptist. You know who John the Baptist is? Cousin of Jesus, right? here on the earth he was he was Jesus cousin his sole purpose in life was to tell people that the Messiah was coming Jesus was coming and one day with his followers around him Jesus comes over the comes over the hill right there and you know what he does he says that's him guys I've been I've been telling you about there he is there's the son of God that is going to take away the sin of the world now, he's been telling everybody Jesus is coming, but there's this one day that he points right at him, and he said, that's him. He's the Messiah, and he's taking away the sin of the world. He baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River. All of this happens, but then, near the end of John's life, uh, next slide over there for me, in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist sends his, uh, some of his followers over to Jesus, and he says, ask him this question, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Wait a minute. This is, this, is, this is the guy that his sole purpose was about telling people Jesus was the Messiah. And now he's questioning that? Now he's doubting, right? He's, he's, he's struggling with the doubt. What, is, what in the world could cause the person, the herald of the Messiah, what, what could cause him to doubt even his own purpose for being alive. You me tell you what happened? Life happened. He got arrested. He was in jail. Uh, be before you start the tabloids and the Facebook messages and everything uh, and posts, let me tell you, he was in jail because he was preaching against sin. He actually called Herod out 
on sin that Herod was committing and continued to commit. And because of that, Herod had him arrested and thrown in jail. So now all this stuff is happening. And so now he's like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Are you really the Messiah? Are you the one? And, and doubt begins to creep in. But do you see what he did? Where did he direct his doubt? He didn't ask somebody. He directed his doubt straight to Jesus. He said, I need you to tell me. I need you to tell me. I got, I, I got some doubt trying to creep in, but I need you to tell me. Are you who I believe you are? Are you the one that I said you were? Are you, are you everything that I said you, you would be? Is that who you are? He directed his doubt toward Jesus. I said, I said this uh, uh, in a sermon series earlier this year several times. You have to never, never allow what you feel to change what you know. You've got to settle what you know and don't, then don't ever allow what you feel to change that. Don't ever allow circumstances to change that. Don't ever allow stuff going on around you to change. You've got to settle what you know about Jesus and let nothing, especially what you feel, change that or what you hear change that or what you read change that. You've got to determine and decide and settle it once now and for all in your heart that I know who Jesus is. He is the Son of God that died for my sin. And, and, and there is nothing good that he wouldn't do for me after this. Because it's not just you that's sitting out here in the chair on Sunday morning that's dealing with that. Pastors on stages all across the world today are struggling, preaching, a, many of them like me, preaching a message on faith. Preaching a message, and, and still questioning. I gotta be honest. There have been times I've been in the middle of a sermon preaching, preaching about miracles or healings or something, and in doubt, just whispering in my ear while I'm trying to preach, whispering, it, what about that one you prayed for that didn't get healed? What about that one and that one and that one? And, and you, know what, you know what happens? And, and, and pastors give up, pastors quit. When they don't allow their trust to overcome the doubt, when they don't stay focused on that. And so it, it happens to us. It's going to happen to you too. If you don't settle what you know, settle what you know. And go and ask him the question. Jesus, like John the Baptist did, Jesus, is what I've said every Sunday morning preaching to my people about you, is it really true? Ask him the question. Prove it to me. Show it to me, God. Let me know that you are exactly who I've told all these people for all these years. Let me know that you are exactly what I've said, that I've not been lying, that, I that what I'm saying is the truth, that what your word says is the truth. Direct your doubt straight to him. Hand it to him. Let him answer because i got to tell you, I, I don't know about you, but when I ask him a question, he answers. Now, now, now some, and sometimes it's, sometimes it's so quick it's almost scary. You know, that, that you know, sometimes he answers so quick, it, it is kind of scary that he's paying that much attention. Then other times I wish he was paying more attention, it seems like, right? And you know, sometimes, sometimes it, it's, it's not immediate. Sometimes it's like a long time after. Sometimes it's the next day, and instead of him speaking something into my heart, he lets me see something, experience something. Something happens in front of me, and I see it, and it's the answer. And, 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 I, and at first, I'm just like, okay, life's happening. But then, then he, like, hits me upside the head, you know, and says, wait a minute. And I say, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. There's my answer. And, and, if, and if God's not answering you, if you're asking the questions and he's not answering you, maybe you're not listening, or maybe you're not watching, or maybe he hadn't hit you upside the head hard enough yet. 
Oh, God, hit us upside the head hard enough that we can hear you today. Can anybody pray that prayer <laughs> and mean it? God, let us hear you. Let us get our, our answers that we need to receive from you. Never allow what you feel to change what you know. And I, I, I miss saying this at the, in the first service, so let me say it right here so I don't forget when I get caught up in my last story. Never let doubt have the final word. That's one of the big secrets to faith. Don't ever let doubt have the final word. If you have doubt in your heart today, don't let that be the final word. Trust beyond the doubt. Go beyond the doubt. Let me tell you a story about someone, about someone who did not let doubt have the final word. And it's a story about a man. Now, this isn't the guy that didn't, have, that didn't let doubt, but the story is about a man named Mr. McBeavy. Anybody know where that's from? Andy Griffith, for all of you who sadly have not discovered the Andy Griffith episodes on TV, the reruns, okay? Um, and listen, for those of you, I'm going I'm to tell a little bit of the story of that, this episode, classic episode from the Andy Griffith uh, show from back in the early 60s. And as I tell this story, I know for some of you, you know a lot of these details. I'm going to have to lay out some of the details for those people who absolutely know, have no idea what the Andy Griffith show was all about, okay? So in, in this episode, Opie comes into the courthouse because his dad, Andy, is a sheriff. So he comes to the courthouse where Andy works. Andy's buddy, his deputy, Barney, is there. Now, in the first couple of episodes, Barney was actually his cousin, and, but for some reason they decided to change it. They were just best friends growing up, okay? And I just feel compelled to tell you this because I want you to know that I know this kind of stuff because I don't want you to tell me later. I thought he was his cousin. That was only two episodes, okay? So I want you to know this. I do do my homework, all right? I just want you all to know that. All right, so, so Opie comes in, and he starts telling Andy and Barney about his new friend, Mr. McBeavy, okay? Sounds like a real name, doesn't it? <laughs> Mr. McBeavy? I mean, everybody know Mr. McBeavy? Yeah, uh, okay, well, here's something that happened. Earlier in the day, Opie was playing with an imaginary horse, all right? And uh, this went on far enough that Barney got embarrassed because he was out in the yard looking for an imaginary horse. He didn't know it was imaginary. And he was out calling it and all these things and all these things, you know. So, okay, so that, was, that had already happened. So now Opie comes in and he's got this new friend, Mr. McBeavy. And his description of Mr. McBeavy is pretty unbelievable. I mean, okay, he walks in the treetops. He wears a bright, shiny metal hat. He, have he has 12 extra hands, and he jingles when he walks, just like he had rings on his fingers and bells on his toes. How many of y'all would believe that story if your kid came in and told you, right? Okay, so he comes, so Andy and Barney, they, they, don't, they don't believe him, okay? They just don't believe him. He, they thought, okay, he's imagining all over again. And so uh, then Opie shows up with a brand new hatchet one day. Where'd you get? Oh, Mr. McBeavy gave me this. Isn't it awesome, Dad? Well, Mr. McBeavy doesn't exist, so you must have found this somewhere. So Andy makes him take it. He says, look, wherever you found this, take it back and leave it, because whoever left it there probably forgot they'll be back to get it later. So he thinks, okay, something, something ain't right right here. You know, Opie's beginning to, he's beginning to slide away from the imagination, beginning to tell stories right here. And so he makes him take it back. Then he shows up with some money. Some money. Now, th this is not like today where every kid's got money, you know, and every kid can find money. You know, I need, I need 50 cents or whatever. I can find 50 cents around, you know, out of somewhere. Now, he had money. Daddy had a little bit of money, and I can't even remember how much it was. Okay, I didn't do all of my homework right there, right? But he had just a little bit of money, you know, and, and so now he's saying he got it from Mr. McBeavy. So now here's the fear. 
Andy fears that Opie is now stealing things, taking things that aren't his, and then he's saying, Mr. McBeavy gave it to me. So you know what it's time for? Well, back in those days, it was time for a spanking. In those days. And so Andy carries him upstairs. And, uh, and they're upstairs for a while. They have another conversation. I don't have time to tell you about the conversation. When they come back downstairs, Barney is, Barney's there at the house. Aunt B's there at the house. And Barney says, did you? And he says, no, I didn't spank him. Barney said, well, good, good. Probably didn't have to go that far. <clears throat> what did you do? And Andy said, I told him I believed him. And Barney said, you believe? But Andy, Andy, the things he told us were impossible. How, how could you tell him you believed him? And Andy said, well, you know, I've probably told him a lot of things in life that at some point he thought was impossible too. And he said, but, but Andy, the rings on his fingers, the jingling, the 12 extra hands, he said, all of that, how, how can that be? And he said, I don't know. He said, but Andy said, but maybe this, these are the times that when someone asks you to trust and believe in them, that these are the times you get the opportunity to actually do that when something that couldn't be possible, you have to believe anyway. And Barney asks again, throws another thing at him. He says, but how do you explain it? And Andy says, I can't. Barney said, but you do believe in Mr. McBeavy? And Andy said, no, no, no. I do believe in Opie. And that's the struggle with doubt, faith, and trust. <coughs> the trust that gets us over the doubt. To believe no matter what. You know, and, and that, whole, that whole story, and I, and I thought about it this morning, I thought, that, that was a sermon right there in itself. Three points right there in that message. That I could have, I could have probably made that my sermon today, but I didn't even get that thought to this morning. And, and I thought, well, God want me to share all this other stuff that I shared and let that just be the closing point. You've been listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a prayer need, our prayer team and staff would love to pray with you. You can send us your prayer request by using the email address prayer at church2911.com. If you would like to know more about our church, including information about our weekly services, please check out church2911.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you know that God has an amazing dream for you. And as always, we dare you to dream.